So this will be maybe an odd memorial service message. Uh, as I was prayerfully considering how to approach this service, I was drawn to this text in Hebrews chapter 12, really just chapter uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Uh, I think it might be selfish motivation that led me to these two verses because I'm doing something here today that you're not supposed to do as a leader. I'm, I'm trying to lead us someplace where I really haven't been lately. I'm trying to give you guys and myself something that I really haven't had lately. And uh, that's, that's uh, endurance and encouragement. Uh, I, you know that I am imperfect, right? This isn't going to shock you to know. Um, I have been lately very weary, very faint-hearted. Uh, as it says here in a couple of verses beyond what we're going to study in verse 12, where he says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Uh, I have been droopy-handed and weak-kneed lately. Uh, some of you have noticed, some of you have uh, asked me how I'm doing because you can tell I'm, I'm just kind of tired. Um, I suspect I'm not alone. Um, there's no particular you know, reason for it all the time. I know that many of you are carrying heavier burdens than I am. Uh, but that's just the fact of the matter. So I'm very much shoulder to shoulder with you this morning. I'm coming to this text with you really, you know, all week as I've been studying it, really uh, desperate for strength. And I think it's here for us. Uh, So I'm excited about it. And I I appreciate you coming with me to these verses for what God has to do for us. These two verses are written for the weak and faint hearted. You see that in verse 3. It's written for the droopy-handed and the weak need. So if that describes you, what luck that you happen to be here this morning when we're going to study these two verses. The goal of them is to encourage us to endure and even to run, to move forward. So we're going to find motivation to endure. We're going to find an action plan to endure. We're going to find power to endure. So, without any further introduction, I want to read these two verses, and I'll invite you, if you're able to do so, would you please stand with me as we read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can follow in your Bible or on the PowerPoint, it's the same translation that I'll be reading from, which is the ESV. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses— Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're grateful this morning that we have God's word Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So the first thing I want to point our attention to is the motivation to endure. This is motivation for the weary, motivation for the faint-hearted. The motivation he points us to here, though there are many sources of motivation for us as Christians to endure, the motivation that he points us to here is found in verse 1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This cloud of witnesses is our motivation to endure. 
he's referring back to the previous chapter, chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith, where he talks about all these men and women who have done all these things through faith. And he says that all these people who have come before stand, it's like they're pressing in on the, uh, the ropes of the racing, the, the course that we're running. They're pressing in and they're encouraging us to keep going because they were able to keep going. So the point is, many Christians have come before us and they have endured. So we can endure. We can know that it's possible because many Christians have endured similar situations as ours and even more trying situations as ours. So he calls them a cloud of witnesses. A witness can be either someone who sees something or someone who says something. So if you are pulling out of here in this, what can be a, a very dangerous intersection to get out on the 2427, and let's say you're trying to make, the guy in front of you is trying to make a left-hand turn, and he pulls out and you see a fender bender happen right in front of you. When the police get there, you are a witness to that. You saw it happen. Now, if for some reason you're called to testify about what you saw, then you are a witness in that you are explaining what you saw. So a witness sees something and a witness says something. So all these Christians who have come before us in, Rome, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's, it's in my memory to say Romans every time. I, and I'll probably say Paul when we actually don't know who wrote Hebrews. These witnesses saw something and they are saying something to us, those of us who are weary. So what they saw was throughout their life, God proved faithful to them. Therefore, they were able to endure. And what they're saying to us, to you, as you're running your race is, keep going. God will be faithful to you. Press on. We know that you can endure because we endured. We know that God will be faithful to you because God was faithful to us. So as you're running your race, you have in scripture a cloud of witnesses who have been through your path and they know that it's doable. You can endure. You can do more than endure. You can run. Now, I've told you of all of my various jobs that I've had before being your pastor, one of which I was a mattress salesman. Can you picture that? At the mattress firm. At the mattress firm, we did a lot of sales training. I learned quite a bit about sales and communication at the mattress firm. And I remember one of these training meetings, uh, all the sales force of this region were in the room together and our manager broke us up into two groups, took one group into this back room over here, took the other group into this back room over here. And then there were some left to witness what was about to happen. Okay, so he, he took the two groups into the different back rooms separate and he laid out all these blocks on a table. I know I've told you this story before, but not all of you remember it. So the two groups are in the back room. He lays out all these blocks just in a heap, like children's blocks that you play with in a heap on the table. He brings out group number one and he says, group number one, your assignment is to stack these blocks as high as you can. I've seen groups get up to 10 blocks high. See if you can reach that level, maybe even beat that level. So group number one, you know, starts building their, their tower. They, they make it, you know, up a 
about seven or eight, it falls over and they try again and they get up near 10. They may have even beat 10, may have gotten 11 or 12. And he says, okay, good job, group number one. You sit down now. Then he brings out group number two to the pile of blocks. And he says, okay, group number two, your assignment is to build a tower of blocks as tall as you can. I've seen groups get as many as 50. See if you can build up to as many as 50 or maybe even more. So group number two starts, their tower falls a couple of times, but they figure out a way to get up to 50 and beyond because their expectations were that that was possible. So his point was, you know, where you set your expectations tends to be where you rise to. And his deeper point was, I want you to go sell a lot of beds and I expect you to sell a lot of beds. Um, My point in bringing that up to you is, I think that we need to set our our expectations for what we can endure and how well we can endure it as Christians very, very high because we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have endured and run incredibly well. So look with me in in chapter 11, just to see what some Christians have been able to do. I'm just going to sort of paraphrase verses 33 through 38. Okay, these are Christians. These are men and women like like us. These are not super saints. These are not not people who were uh, unique from us. These are Holy Spirit-empowered new creations, just like you and I. Christians have conquered kingdoms. Christians have enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, been made strong out of weakness, become mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, received back their dead by resurrection. And then the, the list turns to the negative. This is what Christians have endured. Christians have endured torture, mockery, flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoning, being sawn in two, death by sword, destitution, affliction, mistreatment. Christians have run that kind of race and they've made it to the finish line. And we have their testimony in scripture saying, keep going. We made it. You can make it. Endure, run, move forward. We know you can do it because God proved faithful to us and we were enabled to do it. So the first thing I would say to you, if you feel weary and faint hearted and uh, droopy handed and weak need, Christians have endured similar things to what you are enduring. God was faithful to them. They were able to do it. You are able to do it. How, you may ask. Well, I'm glad you did ask because that's my next point. So that's motivation for the weary. Here's an action plan for the weary. There's things that we can do. These things have been very helpful to me, even just in this last week. So look with me back in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here's our action plan. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the first thing, 
If you're weary, start here. Let us also lay aside every weight. That word weight just means bulk or mass. That word weight is like me trying to walk from here to there carrying this podium. I'm not going to try that in front of you because that would just be an embarrassment to all of us. Now, this is risky, but I have a NASCAR illustration for you at this point. I know nothing about NASCAR. If I'm not mistaken, I think that the season opening race is today, right? I'm not getting a whole lot of affirmative. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, the first ever female driver is in the race today? No? Danica Patrick. First what? I don't even know what that means. I knew this was going to be a disaster. I knew this was going to go poorly. I'm trying to, to relate here, and it's just... But she's in the race, right? Isn't she starting the race? She was the fastest qualifier. Okay. Let's pretend she's the first woman ever in the, in the NASCAR. Okay. She drives a green car. Okay. Now, is she going to drive today? Okay. 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 We're on the same page then. Bear with me, okay? Hey, quiet down. It doesn't always go this badly. All right, everybody settle down. Let's get back on track here. You're, she will not be pulling a trailer behind her car, will she? she she's not going to have a trailer full of cosmetics and changes of outfit. She's not going to have a friend sitting in the passenger seat with her. She's not going to have one of those uh, luggage carrier things that you see on the top of minivans strapped to the top of her car. No, because she's going to want to lay aside every possible weight so that she can drive the race well. I think I've got that much right. Okay, forget that that even happened. (laughs) No laughing in church. That's what I always tell my youth. No fun in church. Start here if you're weary or faint-hearted. Not making fun of your pastor laying aside every weight. These are the non-sinful things that weigh you down. The non-sinful baggage that you carry with you that slows you down in your progress as a Christian. Okay? This might be entertainment. This might be digital distraction. That's, incidentally, that's one of the primary things that I found it is for me. I've been praying through this passage for myself all week and I've realized that I carry with me this weight that maybe none of you do. It's not sinful, but I found that it's not helpful to me and it's podcasts. Some of you are like, what is that? You know, I have my iPod and I subscribe to a lot of podcasts. These are, you know, weekly episodes. Some of them are are preaching. Some of them are are just more entertainment based. And uh, I realize I'm listening to these things all the time. If I'm driving, I'm listening to these. If I'm sometimes just walking from here to the house, I'm listening to it. And I realize this is, this is just clogging my brain up. It's weighing me down. It's unnecessary and it's not really helpful. Um, I don't know what it is for you, but if you're weary and faint-hearted, start here. What weight do you need to lay aside? I'm not talking about sins yet. I'm just talking about things that might be neutral, seemingly innocent, but they hinder your 
walk with Jesus Christ. They distract you. They slow you down. What is it for you? Do you need to cancel Netflix? Do you need to stop hanging out with this person so much? Do you need to rethink your schedule? Are you packing too many secondary or unimportant things in there that are just weighing you down? That could be a source of your weariness. Number two, the second part of the action plan, lay aside the the weights, what's weighing you down, and lay aside the sin that tangles you up. Okay, so the first one wasn't necessarily sinful things. Now we're talking about the sinful things. What sins have entangled you and are making it difficult for you to progress as a Christian? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's racism. Maybe it's just a general disregard for God and his word that keeps you just ambivalent toward it. Right now, I have been praying for the Holy Spirit to stir among us and reveal to us sin. So if something's rising to the top of your, of your mind and it's clear and it's a sin, that's probably what God wants you to deal with. And it's okay. I have dealt with sin this week as I'm trying to figure out why am I so weary and faint-hearted. I like the way he describes it. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Some of you may be aware if you're on Facebook that a little while back, I had ambitions to run a Spartan race. It uh, didn't go anywhere. I even tried to recruit some people to do it with me. A Spartan race is this three mile long obstacle course uh, that you run and you go through you know, there's like ropes to climb and you have to crawl underneath barbed wire. And uh, if any of you guys want to do this with me, let me know. I see a lot of you seem interested. As I was reading about it, they said one of the first obstacles in any Spartan race has to do with water or mud because it's much more difficult to run when your clothes are wet. Why? Because they cling so closely. Now, can you imagine trying to run a Spartan race uh, wearing blue jeans and a winter coat and your first obstacle has you crawling through mud and slosh and water and trying to run three miles with wet blue jeans and a wet winter coat? It would be very, very difficult because it clings so closely. You see, our sin, our sin doesn't, just, uh, doesn't just bring sorrow to our Father who loves us. It slows us down. It makes us weary. It makes us faint-hearted. It makes us droopy-handed. It makes us weak-kneed. Because it's not like we can just live in sin and then just keep on trucking toward Christ as Christians. We can't just keep on running, covered in filthy wet, clinging to a sin. It has an effect on us. It clings to us. It encircles us. It entangles us. It trips us up. So what is it for you? What sin is the Holy Spirit bringing to your minds right now? And I'll tell you how to deal with it. There's, it's a simple one-two punch that God has instructed us with to deal with our sin. Confession and repentance. We don't just say, yes, I have sin here. I wish I didn't. We can, we can strip it off 
If you ever see pictures of the Spartan race, most of those men run with no shirt on, just as little as possible while still being legal. You, you can strip off that stuff that's clinging to you and dragging you down. And you do it through confession and repentance. So I, I want to be transparent with you. One of the sins that has been pointed out to me recently is pride. And pride has many different uh, ways of showing itself. For me, it was showing itself in uh, a sense that I didn't realize had crept up to where I felt like I was on a different plane than some other folks because I'm a pastor. As though I didn't need um, people to disciple me and mentor me and uh, iron sharpen iron befriend me. And it caused me to respond in a couple instances in an unhelpful, unloving way. So I am now in the process of trying to confess and repent uh, that sin. The reason I'm mentioning it now is in case I have in some way responded to any of you in a prideful way, um, many, I may not even be aware of it. I wasn't aware that I was proud, really, until recently. So um, I just want to publicly say I have sin here. So when you confess sin, confess means literally to say with. So first we confess to God. We say with God, yes, I say with you that this is sin. I have been jealous. I have been bitter. I have been selfish, whatever it may be. I say with you that this is sin and I ask for your forgiveness. And then it's to go to whoever it is that your sin has affected and to say to them, I'm saying with you now that I have sinned against you and I need your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Okay, it's a simple conversation, but not an easy one. But if you want to strip off this sin that's clinging so closely to you, that's your first step. What is the sin that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind? Who do you need to confess to and ask for forgiveness? Okay, that's step one. Step two is repentance. Repentance looks like you crying out to God for heart change so that you don't desire that sin anymore, so that you could be different, and so that you can turn from it and move the opposite direction. So for me, repenting of pride looks like asking God, please help me to pursue humility instead. Now, I don't have the power in of myself to just turn off the pride switch, turn on the humility switch. I need supernatural help to repent. You need supernatural help to repent also. So if you are weary and faint-hearted, lay aside the weights that are dragging you down. Lay aside the sins that are tangling you up. And thirdly, run. This completes our action plan, weary people. Lay aside the weights, lay aside the sins, and run. Move forward. Take the next step. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we run with endurance. Do you know what endurance means? Literally, it means remaining under. So we run in such a way that we remain under the strain of our race. You know, the word race here actually is a Greek word. I'm no Greek scholar. I should bring Sam up here for this probably. The word translated race is actually the root 
that we use to develop our word for agony. The Christian race is not run in a lazy boy recliner. Run with endurance. That means remain under. It's the opposite of escape. So I want to talk to you a little bit about endurance versus escape. Are any of you like me? And does the desire to just go to the beach follow you everywhere you go? I want to get out of here so bad almost all the time. Not because of you. I love you guys. You want to escape. You want to escape the race. You want to escape the responsibilities. You want to escape the people that you need to tend to, the, the bills, the schedule. I've been thinking about this. Is my desire to just go to the beach sin? Is my desire at the end of the day to turn on the TV so that I don't have to think about my responsibilities sin? I'm not actually asking for you to tell me what you think. I've been wrestling with it, and I know biblically that rest for the race is good. But it seems clear to me here that escape from the race is bad. So I don't think going to the beach is sin, and I don't think turning on the TV is sin, but we need to search our hearts. Are we desiring it so that we can rest for our race, or are we desiring it so that we can escape from our race? And I'm still working through that for myself. I think there's a bit of both. But we are to run our race with endurance. We are to stick with it, even when it's agonizing. We are to run the race that is set before us. What is the race that is set before us? Well, it's the race of faith. We know that from the context of Hebrews, but it seems like it's different for each and every one of us. If you look back in chapter 11, all these examples of people who ran their race faithfully, it looked different for each and every one of them. So for Noah, running the race set before him meant building a giant boat. For Abraham, it meant leaving his home, not knowing where he was going, and a willingness to sacrifice his son. For Sarah, it meant having a child in advanced age. For Isaac, it meant blessing his sons. For Moses, running the race set before him meant turning his back on privilege to identify with God's people and later leading them out of Egypt. For the people of Israel, it meant crossing the Red Sea on dry land. I'm getting all this from chapter 11 in case you're wondering. For Joshua, it meant leading God's people to march around Jericho until the walls collapsed. For Rahab, it meant giving friendly welcome to Israelite spies. For you, I don't know what it means. I know that it has to do with you growing in your passion for God and your love for God and your trust in God. I know that it means you serving and loving people somehow. I know that it means you making disciples. But I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for each of you. It may right now look like loving your difficult spouse patiently. It may mean contacting some stronger Christian to seek being discipled. It may mean carving out some time to just begin reading your Bible because you've just never even done it. 
Never even tried that first step. It may mean taking some step into leadership. It may mean becoming more open and vulnerable about yourself so that people can truly get to know you. It may mean looking at your gifts and resources and seeking counsel about how you can best serve the church. It might mean reading that book that someone gave you a while back. I don't know. I don't know what the race set before you is. It might, I don't know. That's for you to to figure out and work out. And this has helped me this week to apply myself to run the race set before me. Not all these other paths because there's infinite things that you could do. There is a race set before you Lay off the weights, lay off the sins, and run it. You may need to spend some quiet time and figure out what it is and what it isn't. I think part of my exhaustion has been I'm trying to run all these races that I was never even called into in the first place. You know, a while back, I got to meet a man named uh, Paul Tripp. He's written a lot of books. He's the guy with the big mustache. Uh, I got to meet him up in Minnesota at a conference I went to there was a couple of authors that I really wanted to meet. And so I prepared a question. I thought, if I can meet these guys, there's going to be a lot of other people that want to meet these guys too. So I came armed with one question. I thought through what one question would I want these guys to answer? Uh, Paul David Tripp was one. John Piper was one, but I didn't actually get to ask him the question. Um, Bruce Ware was another one. And there was another guy who wasn't quite as famous, although you may not know these people either. So I I didn't get to talk to Paul David Tripp at all during the conference. I saw him at one point and he was talking to another guy and I stood there waiting for a long time until it just became really awkward and then I just left. So I was kind of bummed, but then I saw him in the airport. He was in a store in the airport when we were flying back. So I ran and I just grabbed him, stalker style in the airport. And I asked him my question and this was my question. I said, if you could give a new pastor with a new family, one piece of advice, what would it be? You know, because, you know, being the man of, of a house, of a home with two kids for the first time is a lot. Being the pastor of a church for the first time was a lot. Doing them both at the same time felt like a lot. And his advice was very helpful. He said, God does not call you to do something that interferes with another calling that he's already placed on your life. So my calling as a pastor will not, if I'm faithful to it, will not interfere with my calling as a husband and a father. God doesn't do that to his kids. He doesn't tell you run that way and also run that way. And so his advice was, he said, most of the pastors that he sees that struggle with the balance are just trying to do too much, too fast, trying to do things that they don't really need to do. They're trying to go beyond just faithfully pastoring their people and, and build an empire or something. Said, so just be faithful with this calling, be faithful with that calling and trust the Lord. He's not gonna call you to do multiple things that conflict. I thought of that as I read this verse, run the race that is set before you. There may be some paths that you just need to stop trying to run because that's not part of your race. There is a clear race set before you. What is it? 
run that. So knowing that other Christians have endured, lay aside what weighs you down, entangles you up, and run the race that is set before you with endurance. Now lastly, I want to talk to you about the power, power for the weary. I'll be brief here, even though this is a meaty verse. How can we do all this when we're already tired and we don't feel like it? Verse 2. Do all this, lay aside these things, run the race set before you, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I have so much that I want to say here, but I'm going to, I'm going to trim it short. I'll put it on the website when I put the recap up. The main thing I'll, I'll say now, and spend some time meditating on that for yourself, since I'm not going to have time to really unpack it all. If you are weary and faint-hearted and droopy-handed and weak-kneed, if you're finding trouble, if you're having trouble finding the strength to run, the problem isn't with your muscles It's with your eyes. You find the strength to run this race by looking at something. You lay aside the weights and you lay aside the sins and you run looking to Jesus. And when you look to Jesus, you see the founder and perfecter of your faith. And you see the example of the endurance that he's calling you to. I think often we look to our race. Run your race, but don't look to your race. Look to Jesus. Do your work, but don't look to your work. Look to Jesus. That's where the power to run it, to do it, to endure comes from. So much more I want to say. If you look in chapter 11, I was going to take you through everything they did was by faith, over and over again, by faith, by faith. And Jesus is our founder and perfecter of our faith. I wanted to talk to you about Peter, you know, how when he was looking to Jesus, he was able to walk on water. But as soon as he looked at everything else, he sank. But instead, I'm just going to draw to a close here. I'm going to trust that you will maybe go back and look at these two verses again and just meditate on what it means to look to Jesus, what it means that he is the founder of our faith, what it means that he's the perfecter of our faith. If you're weary and faint-hearted and droopy-handed and weak-kneed, be encouraged this morning. Others have endured and even been able to run. So lay aside the weights, lay aside the sins. Run the race that is set before you with, with endurance. And look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, the example of Christian endurance, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray.